If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you doing, my friends? Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 60 of the podcast. Great to hear from a number of you about my conversation with Dr. Ann Kelly. Seems like gut-related challenges are something that I need to resource more here on the podcast. So thanks for bringing this to my attention. Uh, I'd like to share one email that I received from a listener here from Chicago. It says, Jeremy, thanks for having Dr. Kelly on the podcast. I found her career in both medicine and public health fascinating. Uh, the two of you seem to have a great rapport together as well. You mentioned that uh, a high percentage of chronic health challenges are with people who had traumatic childhoods. I'm 38 and had a pretty chaotic childhood, and I'm still trying to sort that out. I've been lucky, though, not to have any major health challenges, but I've struggled with anxiety and depression most of my adult life, especially after the birth of, birth of my first child. After hearing your conversation, I realized that it's time for me to be more proactive my thought is that I'd like to come up with a game plan for myself that includes diet, exercise, and any other self-care you would recommend that might help boost my immune function. And I gather from what I've heard you discuss here, in, both in this conversation and in others, that it would most likely have an impact on my mental state as well. Thanks for any suggestions, Renee. Uh, thanks for reaching out, Renee, and sharing this with me. Uh, you offer a, a lot of insight in this in this email. And it, it, it gives me some information, but I would like to get more information from you to figure out what has been working from you, for you and uh, gather a bit more of your story before I would recommend anything. If you're interested, I do offer a free 10-minute consult, and I'll follow up with you in an email in case you'd like to schedule some time to chat. That being said, there are some basics that I recommend to all my clients, and I, I think Renee has the right mindset here. And, you know, constant and moderate exercise are well known to basically help balance a number of different levels from a hormonal perspective, get your circulatory system moving, help detoxify. That's kind of a basic one that I try to get everyone to get into a better routine with. Um, and diet, you know, there's things, basic things like limiting sugar and processed grains. But when it comes to diet, I recommend you meet with someone to ensure that you're doing what works best for you because there's so many different kinds of uh, challenges that people deal with in diet and different prescriptions that, that should be considered. So I don't want to go too far into that. But uh, one last thing is that anything that helps your body with its recovery processes, this includes but is not limited to sleep, meditation, acupuncture, massage, energy therapies, water, uh, walks in nature, spending quality time with your loved ones, and something that helps you train your mindset, something like journaling, gratitude work, prayer, uh, working with a health coach, psychologist, or psychotherapist, if you find that the work you're doing on your own isn't yielding the, the results, I would suggest getting some, some support as well. 
So I, I hope this is helpful. Feel free to reach out to me anytime at jeremy at highwoodhealthpodcast.com if you have any questions. I hope you're picking up here from many of the conversations that I've had. There, there are underlying challenges when it comes to well-being that are often not uncovered and because sometimes they're just hard to identify. And this, this ties in very, very much with this conversation I'm about to have here on the podcast today with, with Tim Klein. He's going to speak with us about framing our purpose, and he'll be up in just a minute. If this is your first time listening to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for more than 20 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our world come to have an effect on our health. And it is my hope that through the conversations and content you get here, that you'll be more empowered and engaged, not just towards your own personal well-being, but also in the communities you live in. One question I have for you is, do you feel like this podcast has been a valuable resource toward improving your health and well-being? If so, and you haven't checked out our Patreon page yet, would you be willing to contribute and become a supporter? You can, be, you can be a contributor for as little as $1 a month by going to patreon.com forward slash highway to health, or you can click the support link on your show notes right on the app that you're listening to this uh, episode on. Every dollar that you donate goes right back into the show, and I promise that your dollars will go into creating more resource and inspiration. And if you're looking for more uh, daily content, you can check out our Instagram and Facebook pages uh, for Highway to Health Podcast. And if you're a health professional or involved in a health-related project, connect with me on LinkedIn. So my guest for today is Tim Klein. Tim is a clinical therapist, but has also been working as a college and career counselor in school systems and has been spending much of his time now as the director of outreach with Project Wayfinder, focusing on youth development and helping them construct a plan for purpose-driven lives and careers. As Tim explains, purpose is the ultimate why. Having a 16-year-old myself, this is something that I'm in constant dialogue with him about and as, as you may remember from my episode about my recent uh, podcast break, this is something I'm also constantly re-engaging with in my work. We start out our conversation here uh, with Tim asking me a series of questions, and through it, he helps me clarify a thing or two about the purpose of this podcast uh, in the scope of the work that I've been doing for over 20 years. I think there's a lot of great information here if you're looking to work on purpose-driven framework for yourself. Here is my conversation with Tim Klein. Can I ask you one question before you jump in? Yeah, sure, um, sure. Well, so, I mean, what you're, you're going to hear about is I do a lot of work in this science of purpose. And uh, yep. just seeing your little, what you wrote and how you, I'm, I'm interested, purpose is this journey, it's the narrative journey, it's how we make sense of our lives. Yeah. And I'm just, uh, a part of me wants to ask you questions about how you got to where you are. And that, te- that can be a great way of being like, this is what purpose looks like in action. Cause I can already tell you're very purposeful in what you do yeah. and the journey yeah, and the journey you take is being insightful, but this, a part of me wants to do that, but I can go in any direction. That, let's, let's, that let's do it. I, I, I like that idea. In fact, I, I don't think I've had anybody really come straight to me with that. And, and, you know, I, there's there's a part of what I do even in my in my day to day practice, which is I share a fair amount of of what my journey has been because I I, I find that most people are kind of you know every, everyone's coming to see me at some point in their journey and I you know I think I a lot of times I have some something that relates to what they've been through so I kind of try to share some of that with them so that they understand where you know where we're meeting too. 
So mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's no reason we can't do it on the podcast. So all right, let's let, do it. Let's get at it. I'm I'm a I'm a clinical therapist by background. Yeah. Um, and so I'm in this weird space where I'm I'm a clinical therapist. I've been a school counselor doing college and career counseling. Yeah, I saw um, that. And so, and and but now I'm in this this youth development field of youth purpose, which is this really fascinating new and emerging field in youth, in child development. And so the definition of purpose is when someone has a stable and generalized intention, which is just a fancy way of saying a goal or direction that they want to head to. Yeah. That feels both that feels both personally meaningful to them and also they feel like it benefits the world beyond the cell. Yeah. And and so when I go through that definition, like does what you're doing now in this podcast and in your work with people, is that checking off the box of purpose? Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, p- part of what I'm end up, you know, even if I'm dealing with somebody in my practice with, you know, chronic pain, if if we go back through their story, the, you know, it's it's always it's always a point of kind of trying to get a sense of when did things start to co- go off track for you a little bit, and mm-hmm. when, in the case of chronic pain. 90 plus percent of the time it goes back to some childhood trauma or some you know challenge that they had even in their in their teen years and but then it, but then there's also I think a you know there's a there's a lot of people who are sort of struggling with with purpose um, and, and I've you know I find it both with in my practice right now with teenagers I find it with with um, moms who are at, kind of at home who have who have left their careers behind and are, mm-hmm. you know, in their 40s and trying to re- sort of reestablish themselves. And I find it with men, you know, at any point in, <laughs> in the process, <laughs> yep. too, because, you know, th- there's there's a certain amount of pressure on on men still culturally, e- even as even as women are, are, you know, much higher in the in the workforce. There are a lot of men who ba- basically kind of jump into a career to, to you know, to, to provide in some way or just to, you know, take care of themselves and they end up, you know, in jobs that they're not really satisfied with or with a career path that they're not completely satisfied with or with or, or just in a in a in a practice or a place without any any purpose. Exactly. So it's all it's all part of the same work that we're doing. Yeah. I knew you'd have I knew you'd have a good answer. And 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 my podcast too. I mean, with the the podcast kind of came from me trying to reestablish my own purpose on some level. Mm. I, I, I had been a, a very busy therapist in, in New York. I was in Brooklyn. I had started a, a storefront business with a couple people and um, kind of a wellness center. And, and you know, I, I, after having kids and, you know, working, you know, probably 10 really, you know, busy years of seeing, you know, 30, 35 people weekly, I was I was kind of hitting a point of burnout, and and I was trying to kind of look, re, re, kind of re regather what I wanted my purpose to be in my practice, and I ended up hooking up with a, another doctor who was in, involved in some different projects, some of it in health tech, and and he kind of brought me in, and a lot of the things that we were working on were really asking these these difficult questions because his one of his challenges as he was a younger uh, doctor than me, one of his challenges was he this wasn't what he signed up for. And mm-hmm. trying to figure out what his purpose was in a system that didn't wasn't really you know allowing him to have the, to practice the art of medicine anymore. Yeah. So, so I think we're. What, we're what, can I, so sorry. Yeah, I, go was, ahead. I was just curious. What did you feel like was missing, or what was changing with you in your practice after ten years that you started to feel burnout? Um, I think there was a there was a part of me that that wanted to do more outreach, and that's kind of where the podcast came from. I, 
you know, basically I have a cash practice. So I, people can use their HSA dollars with me, but for the most part, it's only people who can afford to see me that I was, yep. that I was giving resource to. And I started feeling like, you know, there's, there, there are, there are some pretty simple answers in, in the world of health that, that could get out there for free. And I wanted to be more involved in that. And that was part of the reason I got in the, in the health tech project as well. But I, but it's kind of what led to the podcast was realizing I was having all these amazing conversations with people when I was working, you know, in that other space for a little while and realizing these, these conversations are the ones that need to get heard out there. Mm-hmm. And then that just kind of opened up, you know, a lot of questions about, you know, people's belief systems around being well. And it was sort of hard not to sort of branch into community. And I had done a lot of work in community development in Brooklyn and, and was starting to do it in Minneapolis when I moved back. I'm, I'm, I've been back for six years now. So it's, you know, I, I'm pretty ingrained now in, in, the, in the community here. And, I, and I, I think that was just something I realized about myself at that point was that that was an important part for me. Yeah. So through, through the lens or the language of purpose as a framework, um, it sounds like to me when you were doing that private practice, the, um, the depth of your impact and the scope of your impact wasn't aligned with what you wanted to do. Like, yeah, you, you yeah, were yeah. having an impact on the people you were seeing, but it sounds like you felt like you could have had a bigger Delta change with a different population of people who might need that work a little bit more, That's or you could, al- or you could have also a wider breadth by doing the podcast. Am yep. I hearing that right? Yep. Bo- both of those. And so through purpose is this really helpful framework to analyze where we are as people and how, what we're doing is aligning with what we're intrinsically motivated to do. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think in, in the field that we're in, where we're, we're helping people, I feel like there's this, I'm always going through this um, pendulum swing of what is the impact that I want to be having. Sometimes I want to be having direct impact with people going really deep, doing one-on-one work. Sometimes I want to zoom out and have a broader reach with a greater amount of people that isn't so high touch. And to me, that's that's where the language of purpose is really, really helpful to, to have that introspection to understand is what we're doing, filling us up in the way we need to. Yeah. So, so, so where do you, you know, wh- I, I know you're doing a lot of work in, with youth and mm-hmm. at, at, at what point do you feel like this is, this conversation can, can start? Well, it's interesting. So, it's, um, I mean, just to step back and talk about purpose. So purpose is where it is. It's like, it's the ultimate why, you know, it's like, why are mm-hmm. we doing something? It's, it, it answers that question. It's something that's personally meaningful, benefits the world beyond the self. And so the way I see it in youth development is uh, with young people, young kids, I have a three-year-old and an and a eight-month-old right now. Mm-hmm. They are both very purposeful. They are both in, incredibly intrinsically motivated. All they want to do is play. And with young people, play is purposeful, you yeah, know? Yeah, for my, sure. My, my three-year-old is doing things not because there's some sort of reward or carrot or stick that he's getting it he's just doing it to do it and so where i see this happening is that young people come out very inherently purposeful and then they enter a school system that introduces extrinsic motivators it it introduces grades it introduces trophies it introduces metrics where they're supposed to evaluate themselves on how they stand with other people and there's a lot of research showing that 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 sense of purpose kind of gets beaten out of them and it gets replaced with these extrinsic motivators. Uh And what I've seen, the biggest extrinsic motivator is college, right? And we were in this education system where 
pretty much the number one reason to do anything in school is because this implicit assumption that if you do well in this one thing, whether it's sports, AP bio, community service, um, if you're into music, the reason to do it is because it's going to increase your chance of getting into a competitive college. So we've, we've turned school into the ultimate anti-purpose zone where we're saying you need to go this to go to college because, and you should go to college so you can make a lot of money. Right, um, right. And so what we're trying to do is, and then there's all this research showing that when people are extrinsically motivated, they're not as engaged. They're, they're not as, they don't have as much self, self-regulation. They're not as gritty. They have higher levels of depression and anxiety. They have worse relationships with their peers and the adults. And so it's really about getting back to this place of get, letting students reconnect with what they find intrinsically motivating to them. And then it's flipping, trying to design school and youth development in a way where they can pursue those things that they find purposeful. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's, it's interesting because like just, just talking about your kids and, with, and play and then kind of looking, just knowing, knowing your background that your, you were, your, your BA was in sports and marketing. Yeah, and and yeah. then and then it makes this turn into into your master's in social service administration. Just the idea that like you know you 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 kind of went from the idea of play <laughs> into how to into how to create you know social service out of this. And and I think it's it it is it was even part of my you know because I because I worked between kind of a body workspace and movement space with people. I you know I kind of created my own form of physical therapy for all intents and purposes, filling kind of a void that was not being hit very well in the traditional physical therapy space. Mm. I, I, a lot of what I would, would, would do early on with somebody in their program was get a sense of, I mean, they might be coming into me with something that's been, you know, hampering their, their movement or, you know, sort of a a pain issue or something for a while. And now I, I I do a little bit more work sort of with included in all of that too, with, you know, with trauma and with anxiety and depression and that kind of stuff too. And, and, but the thing that I feel like that runs across the board is that helping people kind of find their passion for play again in some, in some aspect of themselves. My, my, um, my business in Brooklyn was called Everyday Athlete. And the, mm. idea, the idea was that, you know, at, no matter what your endeavor is, whether you're a new parent, you know, or you, you actually are really trying to do an athletic pursuit or just your day-to-day life, you're doing all these different kinds of athletic movements and to have a presence and awareness in your body as you go about your day doing all those things really translates into, you know, being, being present and enjoying your life a little bit more and just being, being self-aware. And, and the thing that I found with most people is the more they became embodied, the more they became playful. Mm-hmm. And that that ended up translating into them finding sort of external, you know, pieces for themselves that were little passion, you know, pieces, I think, too. Yeah, I love that. I feel, um, yeah, we the way I kind of look at it is that we have this spectrum of motivation that young people are on. And it's really, there's one thing we call the performance mindset, which is uh, really, the performance mindset says that the philosophy the point of life is to win and life is a competitive <laughs> yeah, it's a competition. Yeah. It's a zero sum game. It's winner take all. And so for you to survive, you need to win. And so everything you need to do is about being the best compared to other people. Right. Yep. And that, and then on the other end of the spectrum is um, what we call the passion mindset where people say the goal of life is to be emotionally happy. And so I should be doing what I love. Yeah. Um, and, 
the, that posits that the whole point of life is to maximize positive emotions while minimizing negative emotions. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that it, th- those two things are on opposite ends of a spectrum. And if you if you go too much towards performance mindset versus passion mindset, there's big problems with both of them. Right, right. And what's in and it's interesting, you know, there's if people are too into their own passion, they're too self-centered. It's funny, the more there's research showing that the more people prioritize um, emotional happiness as the goal of life, the more likely they are to have depression and anxiety because they're always asking myself, am I really happy? Could I be more happy? And (laughs) it actually doesn't get what they need. And so and on the performance mindset, if people are always judging themselves by how they look in other people's eyes, they're always losing because there can only be one winner because it's winner take all. Mm -hmm. And the way we view purpose is at this really healthy balance between the performance mindset and the passion mindset. And so purpose is doing something that is personally meaningful to you. And when we say personally meaningful, we mean, does it align with my core values? Am I using the strengths that make me feel like my best self? Am I developing and mastering skills that I'm motivated to learn? And does it also benefit the world beyond me? Can I see how what I'm doing is having a positive impact on other people? And so we really see purpose as the balance between these two extremes. Um, and I, I think we're living in an extreme world right now where a lot of people are are looking at the performance mindset and then a lot of people are looking at the passion mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's it's interesting. I, I was just having this conversation with somebody recently about how, you know, and and it, and it gets back to that. There was a quote on your on your on on um, Project Wayfinder's website that was something about the the biggest problem. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but I think it was something about the biggest problem today is not actually stress, but feeling a meeting meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. And. And and it's and I think that that is a big part of what's going on, and even in, in politics in in the U.S. right now, and I think probably all over the world. I think there's there's a sense of this kind of stuff, where there there it's this battle between the the economic disparities that are going on, and people still trying to hold on to a bit of that, you know, striving to have some some passion in their in their lives or have some some sense of joy in what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I. That's something I really, I'm really excited about it at Project Wayfinder, the way we view it, because a lot of the times the way we're talking about mental illness in this country today, particularly around young people, mm-hmm. is around we're viewing depression and anxiety as the problem that needs to be solved. Right. And what we're saying is depression and anxiety are not the problem. They are a symptom of a larger root cause problem which is meaninglessness, which, which is lack of purpose. I mean, when you, so today, 13 to 18 year olds, a quarter of them are going to be diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder. It's the number one mental health diagnosis in the country now. And what's interesting, when you look at the DSM definition of anxiety, it is an emotional response to uncertainty about the future. Uh And so, you know, and so when we look at it through that lens, so much of what we're doing to treat anxiety is around mindfulness and it's around safe spaces and it's around, it's around managing anxiety where, you know, when you look at through this, if it's, if it's uncertainty about the future, young people feel very uncertain about the world in which they're entering, you know? And so what we need to do, we think if we can create spaces like this podcast in schools to have conversations about what young people want for themselves in the future what type of people do they want to be? What positive impact do they want to have on other people? 
they can start reducing that uncertainty and they can start really thinking about their future in a concrete way outside of just what's the most competitive college that you want to get into. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I've, you know, no, I, you know, I have a 16 year old and he, who has been on the podcast actually, and we've talked about oh, some, awesome. some, some of the issues and we're, we're planning to do more work kind of in that teen space. And, and partly because I see it in my practice and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing more and more kids I mean, at, at even younger ages, and, and I think I think even even things like ADD, ADHD are being misdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. I think I think on some level, there that you know whatever that kind of mania that kids have when they have stuff like that is is you know it's it's a lot of different kinds of things. I think there's a chemical part of it, but where does that chemical part of it come from? You know, I think mm-hmm. I think our our brains sort of become wired a certain way when we are, you know, feeling a certain way emotionally. And I, and, and a lot of times, you know, I end up treating whole families because I find that it's not just the kids who have the problems, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, but, but we're putting those kids on medications. And I don't think that's really, I think that can be a bridge if there's, if they're really struggling, if they're really starting to have like, you know, depression or a lot of anxiety around learning, you know, that it might be useful as a bridge, but you can't have that be their long-term solution. And so, you know, that's I, I become sort of a, an, another bridge towards, you know, finding different ways to to, to find some, you know, self-soothing in their own bodies and finding ways yeah. to, to, to kind of get out of that. And even just to have the experience itself of, of feeling calm helps them understand that place that they can actually get to. Yeah. And to me, you know, it, it's I'm glad that you bring that up because uh, at Project Wayfinder, so we do like we do really intensive work with schools to make school more purposeful. And that's through training and curriculum. But when we've designed our program, we have this amazing team of community organizers and social workers and artists, you know, not traditional yeah. educators yeah. who are working to redesign education. And a part of what the team did to design our curriculum was to because we're from the D school at Stanford. So we're really into design thinking. So it's really all about empathy and understanding the experience of your end user. And so what we did was we shadowed students and we followed them throughout their school day. And we, and we did exactly what students do. And when was the, and so what our students are doing, they are spending up to eight hours a day sitting in the same chair, looking at an adult in the front of their classroom, who's just talking at them. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I would, I would challenge any one of your listeners to like, when was the last time they they spent over forty five minutes having <laughs> right. to sit and focus on someone? Of course, they're going to get ADD from that. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not how we were set up to move as humans. And yeah. so, I think what I like about purpose and the work we're doing is like we're we're trying to zoom out a little bit and we're trying to ask these much bigger questions about like who am I what is my purpose on this world? What am I trying to do? And a lot of time adults are hesitant to have these conversations with students because they haven't been given the opportunity to sit with these questions for themselves. And so that's a big part of the work that we do too, is helping educators. How do you reconnect to why you came into the classroom in the first place? What impact are you trying to have on students? So, yeah. So, so, so after you do that zooming out, and I know you guys have programming. So what does zooming in look like? What are, what are the, you know, the, the stepping stones then that you guys start to do with, with younger people? Yeah, we, we take them through this, this whole journey that aligns with that framework, that definition of purpose. And so what we'll do is, uh, the first thing we do in our curriculum is, um, 
we really try to get students out of this mindset of life is this linear path that you need to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, the students really today, they really think that the life is supposed to be the straight line where I get great grades, I get great ACT, SAT scores, I get into a great college, I study business, I go get a job, I buy a house, get married, live happily ever after. And <laughs> right. And so what we see is that they think life is this linear path and it puts the, the stakes for them feel really, really high. So if if they're saying that there's only one pathway to success and that's getting into a great college, suddenly getting a B in chemistry is not just a bad grade. It's a life or death moment for them because that could be the difference between them getting into Stanford or not. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we're trying to do is one saying we're called Project Wayfinder for a reason because we use that metaphor of navigation to say there are no linear paths in life. There is no certainty to success. You need to figure out there is no predefined path that you need to take to be successful. You actually need to chart your own path. And so, and it's getting them to undo this idea of I need to follow the path. And what we're saying is, no, you need to chart your own future. And what we're going to do at Wayfinder, we're going to give you the skills to navigate that uncertain future. And then what we do in the classroom is we say, you know what, you don't know what you you don't know who you want to be in life. You don't know what you want to do yet because you can't predict what the next 10 years are going to look like. Mm-hmm. But what you do know is you want to do something that is personally meaningful to you. So then in our curriculum, what they do with an educator is they're going to do a deep dive and they're going to go through and say, what are my core values? What are the character strengths that make me my best self? What are the skills I want to develop? And they are actually going, we're going to give them the language to understand these concepts. And then they're going to identify these things for themselves. And and then at the end of that, we say, okay, you know your core values. You know the strengths you have that make you feel like your best self. Let's think about how can you be pursuing these in school, in your community, in your career. Uh, And then the final part of the curriculum is we say, you know what, you don't know what you want to do in life but you know, you know it wants to feel personally meaningful, but it's also not just about you. It's also about thinking about what is the positive impact you want to have on other people. And this, to me, is where I think we do really powerful work because a lot of the time, you know, I think a lot of adults want, you probably, you want your 16-year-old to go and be altruistic and compassionate and sympathetic. And a lot of times when we, we ask kids what impact you want to have in the world, they think they need to be the next Greta. They think that right, they need right. to solve climate change. They think that they need to solve world hunger. And they go to these incredibly big, noble aspirations. But a lot of the time, it doesn't feel personally meaningful to them. Yeah. So what we actually do is we say, and this is where I'm curious to hear more about your story, is what are the challenges that you have gone through? What impact did those challenges have on you? Let's zoom out a little and be like, why did that challenge happen to you? What were the systemic causes um, that made that challenge happen to you? Who else is suffering from this? And then it's really getting students to think about how can they use their experience in challenges that they face to help other people who might be going through the same thing. Yeah. And we call, it, we call it this inside-out model where you start with your own personal challenges, and we really think that is where – pro-social intention, compassion, empathy, altruism, it actually starts with adversity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm guessing that kind of resonates from what I've seen from you. I, does that resonate with your story? Or is, oh, it, is, it is resonates, your- yeah, definitely with my own personal story. <laughs> I, mean, I, I came from a, that wasn't, wasn't a terrible uh, situation as a child, but, you know, definitely 
not very much money and single parent situation. And I, and I think there's a part of me and also, you know, I watched things that my, my grandfather did and my mom did that, that I thought were kind of amazing things. I'm, I'm sure as, as a kid, they really, they did some outreach, um, in their own communities. And I think there was a part of that, that I saw that, that I wanted to do more of and else, but I also had adversity, you know, I think as a, both as a teenager through college and, and in, into my twenties where I started having physical pain, I started having, you know, back problems that were not resolving. And so that was, that was a big part for me was to try to, you know, I had to, I had to kind of go back through everything on some level. Like there was a, there was a physiological part of it for sure, but there was also an, an emotional part of it. And, and, you know, this is some of the stuff that I end up getting into with my, with my clients. It doesn't matter what their age is. I, I want to get their story like the, because mm-hmm. and, and, and not to say that they're, they're the story that they give me is the absolute truth because it's the story they've told themselves. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. but it's important for them to acknowledge that story. And I find over time, sometimes they'll they'll change that story a little bit and realize and, mm-hmm. and, and they'll take they'll take more responsibility for some of those things because it's very easy especially in our in our sort of victim culture to, to say that, oh, th- my problems are because of this, you know, and 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 that, that's one of the things I, I really loved about just just even going through, like some of the stuff that you guys are doing, this this whole idea, this whole notion of of, of wayfinding really kind of puts you back in, in in this empowered position of saying, can I can I read my world? You know, that that old mm-hmm. notion of, of wayfinding. And and that we're we're you need to you need to be responsible for seeing the signs for yourself and seeing the patterns in in, the, in your world and and making your own decisions and and I do think that we we've done a disservice to some of our young people and you know this helicopter parenting model and and this this fear that that we live in this unsafe world when it's as as probably as safe as it's ever been. Is, mm-hmm. is is really a disservice to them because they're not learning those those instinctive skills at a at a young enough age. So that's you know in terms of my in terms of my you know children, one of the things I'm really trying to work on with them is is give them this sense that it's all about exploring right now. That mm-hmm. you you don't have to know who you are. My my 16 year old this year starting starting as a junior was was he basically said you know, straight up to me that I, I'm I'm really I'm feeling anxious. I don't know what I want to do this you know with classes I want to take this this year. I don't know what I want to do for a major. And he's got a lot of interest and he's a very smart kid. And I said, you've got at least four years right now to just keep exploring. And then you're going to mm-hmm. decide on a major, but that's not the end either. That's just, you know, that's just a direction for you. And and I, I think it, it really freed him up. And he started taking some different classes this year. I think last year he was trying to really sort of fit the model of what the school wanted him to do. And I think he, he kind of took this back and I, I had that experience in college, but I didn't have it until like my sophomore year, yep. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I'm trying to instill some of that, that sense of, of, you know, really, really being, being an explorer in the world and not just, not just feeling like they have to go down one path. Yeah. And I think that's a problem that we're trying to address is I think what the challenge in, um, why people find it so hard to take the risk of exploration is that they young people have never been taught how to make big decisions. You know, they've been taught that there is one correct way to do something and they've been taught that there's a right or wrong answer. And so Mm -hmm. I'm guessing in, in the educational system your son is growing up in, he was probably feeling anxiety because he didn't want to make the quote unquote wrong decision. Right. And so, and so if we can use purpose as this framework 
to help students understand their experience, there is no right or wrong decision. There's only experiences that you can learn from to reorient, reorient yourself as you're going on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, so, so if he took a class, you know, if he took chemistry and he hated it, um, we could say, awesome, let's dive into it. What was it about chemistry did you not like? Did you feel like you weren't using your strengths? Did you feel like you weren't building skills that were relevant to you? Did you not see how understanding chemistry could help you make a positive impact in the world? Let's do a little bit, di a, a deeper dive, a more nuanced understanding of that experience. And then if we can understand what was it about that class that you didn't like, we're going to use that information to pivot towards the next thing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, and, and it's that mindset, that wayfinding mindset that if you're constantly exploring, you will eventually find it. You will find something that feels purposeful to you as long as you keep going. And, and, and the idea that there's not one way, you know, that's the, that's mm -hmm. the other piece of this is that you're going to go down a whole bunch of different paths. And if you don't, you're, you're not going to have a very good sense of the world. So, you know, you, you need to make those, you need to have those paths that lead to nowhere. I mean, that's, I think that's an important part of, of growing, <laughs> you know, that, that you have to make mistakes. And that, that's one of the things I've been, I've been talking to him a lot about is that if he doesn't, if he doesn't, if, if he doesn't, isn't, isn't able to see a mistake that he's made, or if he's not hitting walls like that and saying, oh, that was a, that was a mistake, then he's probably not growing. You know, that's, 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 I think that's a very sort of like simple way of looking at, you know, mis mistakes as, as success or, you know, yeah. the, the idea of kind of failing fast, you know, just hit, make sure you go for those kinds of things and try and don't be, and getting used to failure. Mm -hmm. And I think, so what you're talking about, I think is really at the heart of the work we're doing at Project Wayfinder is because, um, a young person can hear this message of it's okay to fail. You don't need to follow the path that everyone else says. But if if they're not hearing that from a trusted adult who is giving them personal anecdotes and examples from their own lives that mm -hmm. embodies the, the, the insights that they're trying to teach them, it sounds like empty words to them. Yeah. So a big part, a big part of what we do is we take educators through the same journey and we get them to understand their own values. We get them to understand their own narrative journey and how they've made sense of their own lives and the stories they're telling themselves about different critical aspects of their journey. And then we're saying, how can you be telling this story to young people in a way that validates their experience, it normalizes what they're going through, and it shows them that they're not alone in what they're feeling right now. Yeah, I love um, that. And, and, do, and, and do, they, do they share their stories with each other then? Is that a, a part of the process so that they kind of are, you know, in that community with, with each other? Yeah, exactly. The iron, it, yeah, and it's, we do professional development where we want our educators to internalize these aspects of purpose. And so we literally run them through the curriculum exactly the same way we would with young people. Mm, and what's really a fascinating thing that's developed within our trainings that we were initially doing these trainings to teach teachers how to do this for students. And now we're finding the biggest impact we're having is teachers are saying, this is the very best professional development I've ever been to because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reconnecting with what got me into the classroom in the first place. And they're connecting with their, their peers and their colleagues in a way they never get to do. I was a school counselor for a long time working in a large public school in the Boston area. And the, the dirty secret about teaching is that it's incredibly isolating. And, yeah. and if you're not a teacher yourself, you think, 
you're in this big school, you're around hundreds, potentially thousands of people. How can it be isolating? But teachers rarely get a chance to connect with other teachers because they're just in their classroom. And so we get them to connect over these shared elements of purpose because it doesn't matter if you're a math teacher or a U.S. history teacher or a drama teacher or a football coach. These elements of purpose are universal and they're the best way to find shared commonality. So, yeah, it's all about telling those stories and really making really what we do is we make purposeful connection through this language of purpose. It's it's interesting that with with teachers, because I feel like it's it's the same in health fields. You know, Mm -hmm. we get so busy. Again, you might be working with a lot of other people, but you get so busy. I mean, I happen to have a private practice now, but I have been at, at times working in offices with other people. And, and you don't really get that much of an opportunity to talk. And one of the reasons that I ended up making a lot of great relationships with different docs is that I, I treated a lot of them. <laughs> so just having one-on-one time with them in my office, a lot of times like on my table, gave them this opportunity. And a lot of them have been on my podcast because we, we really got, you know, we, we, ha- we were able to express a lot of different things, a lot of challenges we had with each other. I mean, I'm, I'm simply there to, to treat them, but at the same time, I'm sharing my story. They can relate to my story. They start, they start sharing more. And that's part of, you know, the, the healing process or the growth process for a lot of people when they're, you know, in, in a, in a specific place where they're just kind of stuck. I think the same is probably true. I mean, and, and doctors at this point are the highest suicide rate profession. I think your, your work could probably serve them quite well. Yeah, completely. I mean, and we, we are working with a bunch of different organizations doing training with that. And so, yeah, this is universal and the two fields, it's, it's very similar. And, um, there's research that just came out that found that, uh, teachers on a day-to-day basis have higher levels of stress than ER doctors. Yeah, And so I that's, that. and that's, and they're under this immense pressure. And so they need a little bit more support there. So yeah, we're, we're really just trying to, it's all about making these meaningful connections because we're finding that teachers are feeling really, really isolated. We're also finding that students, especially young men are feeling incredibly isolated as well. And so it's really, we're trying to, like our curriculum, our pieces of paper, but really the power is in facilitating meaningful dialogue and mm-hmm. teaching people how to talk to each other. Yep. So, so besides doing this podcast, <laughs> how, how else are you guys able to outreach at this point uh, in terms of like getting more people interested in, in this concept? Um, what is it like to, you know, what, what do people have to do in order to kind of get you involved with, with whatever their school or their, their business uh, and and is there is there a cost associated with it? I'm sure it changes for every situation. Yeah, we have a variety of different. I mean, really, the best way to get a hold of us is go on the website and you'll and reach out to me or my colleague Casey. And where we are in the field right now is um, we're really trying to start this movement of purpose learning. And so we really were in the business of building meaningful relationships and tapping into students' intrinsic motivation. And more and more what we're hearing from teachers is like, yeah, we think this is really, really important, but I have to focus on standardized test scores. I have to make sure that our graduations rates are up. It feels like a byproduct or a secondary goal that they have that Mm -hmm. they can't focus on. So really what we're doing is we are trying to raise awareness around purpose learning and the powers of relationship to give more and more educators permission to prioritize this work. Because Mm -hmm. 
I, we work in 25 different states, over 100 schools, independent schools, public schools, alternative schools, after schools, after school programs. We are finding purposeful educators everywhere. And, and this was an experience I had in the classroom where the more purposeful the work felt, the more, the deeper, more powerful relationships I was developing with young people, the more isolated I felt because it was so against traditional education. So we're really trying to build this community of purposeful educators, and we are trying to give them permission to prioritize this work. And what's really exciting is that what I get to do is I'm trying to talk to as many school counselors, dean of students, teachers, principals as possible, Um, because really what we see is we're looking for purposeful educators, and we're just we're not telling them to do anything different. We're just giving them tools and resources yeah. to really let to deepen the impact of what they're already doing. So the way that people work with us, we do professional development. We do deep dive two-day trainings. We have a summer institute um, in California. And we also provide really, really comprehensive curriculum that most of our schools are using in an, an advisory period. Okay. Are you familiar with advisory at all? Yeah, or? yeah. Yeah, and so kind of the we found it's been really powerful to go on an advisory because, you know, as the mental health crisis has, has gotten more and more pro, uh, prominence, social-emotional learning has gotten a lot more popular, and so schools are adopting these advisory periods um, where a, an adult is just supposed to make meaningful relationships with a student. Yeah. Um, the really secret, though, is that there's not a lot of good advisory curriculum out there, and if you take a math teacher – typically the way they build relationships with their students is through algebra too. And so if you take that content knowledge away from them, they don't know how to build relationships with mm-hmm. students. Yeah. And so, and so what we're doing and, and in a lot of schools, advisory just comes, it becomes a place where students are just doing their homework. They're on their phones. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make advisory the flagship program at a school through building relationships, through our purpose learning curriculum. So, so for anybody not who doesn't know about, about advisory, how do you how do you def- ex- explain that? I mean, my son, you know, I, I know a little bit because he has an advisory, but mm-hmm. it, it it sounds like exactly what you're saying. You know, it's it's basically this place where people show up late to it all the time. They get yep. on their phones. They might be doing some homework or chatting with their friends. But it's like I I, I imagine a lot of teachers just look at it as like another thing that they have to do rather than than a, than a real, you know, a, a safe space where they might be able to do something with that time? A hundred percent. It is It is just another thing that they need to do. It's So it can be called homeroom. It's called advisory. But it, ask your young person, do they have advisory at their school? Mm-hmm. And ask them, what are they doing during it? An overwhelming majority, and this is not the teacher of the school's fault, but overwhelming majority, it feels like a waste of time for them. And so this, we really fit a need there. And it's just a way for them to connect and feel like they have someone that they can rely on at the school. Because, And we really are banking on the evidence that for every adult that a student feels meaningfully connected to, like they feel they are part of their support network. It reduces depression and anxiety. It reduces dropout levels. It reduces recidivism. Like strengths of relationships is really strongly correlated to all the positive outcomes we want in our young people. 
That's so great. I would love to connect more people with you. What what is the what what is your web, website is is projectwayfinder.com, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's projectwayfinder.com. You can go in there and um, you can look at the research backing it. You can look at our framework. We have reading lists on there. We have a whole bunch of articles that we've written for a variety of different education publications and um yeah, if anyone wants to reach out to me, if you're a parent, if you're an educator, if you're looking for purpose yourself, we are just looking to talk to as many people as possible because part of my purpose is helping other people find theirs. So uh, Tim at ProjectWayfinder.com. Well, I, I appreciate the work you're doing, Tim, and, and I, I know you're a busy guy. You're all over the place. This took us a while to finally <laughs> nail, yeah. nail down. So, um, and and. Um, if, if there's anything else that, that um, you know, in, if there's any online tools or anything else, I'll, I'll throw it up on my show notes so people can, can find out a little bit more. But I, but I really appreciate your, t- you taking the time to do this with me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Tim Klein, folks. Loved this conversation. Something so simple about this work, and yet we are too often failing to include this step in our education and our careers. And I'm reminded that it's never too late to do this work, and it's something that we can continue to infuse into our lives on a regular basis and stay on track and make sure that our goals match our purpose. If you'd like to find out more about Tim and his work, check out projectwayfinder.com. Let me know what you thought about this topic and conversation. And please let me know if you have somebody that you'd like to hear me have a conversation with. You can always reach me at jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.